Okay, here's some exciting news. One of our sponsors here of the show, The Magic Five, are going to be featured on ABC's Shark Tank on Friday, October 29th, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check it out. Very cool. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT. B-R-E-T-T at checkout. Destromachines.com. Superior swim timing. Run a swim meet with ease from your laptop. SST is fully compatible with high-tech, Team Unify, as well as Colorado, Dactronics, and Amiga touchpads. SuperiorSwimTiming.com. Swim Angelfish. Receive the tools and skills needed to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions with Swim Angelfish. Go to swimangelfish.com. Nate's come out with another awesome tool for the swimming community. It's called Swim Nerd Live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart TV, phone, or other device. It has all the information you're looking for. Event, heat, lane, name of swimmer, times and places. One click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time. Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. I think we're up. Okay. Amanda Beard, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I'm awesome. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. I'm pretty pumped actually to be doing this this morning. It's exciting. Get to hang out with old friends. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, <laughs> it's been a long time. Um, you know, the, the, the thing I love about this is I get to talk with people that I grew up just admiring and you're definitely one of those people. I mean, I was a fan from a distance and then we got to know each other and um, that was cool too. But uh, yeah, amazing career. Incredible. Oh, thank you. Yeah, likewise. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah. But, uh, this is just as much of an honor for me, you know, like to be able to hang out and talk and chat with you. So, well, it's cool um, that we're talking about swimming. It's something that we both love and passionate about, had great success with, um, and just had it's kind of shaped our lives in many different ways, too. So, kind of just share that today. So, just tell us where you're at now and what you're up to. Yeah. So, I mean, I live in Washington State in a little town called Gig Harbor. Uh, we opened a swim school, learned to swim school, um, uh, almost five years ago. It's doing awesome. We're having lots of fun, and it was a way to for me to still kind of be around swimming, um, but not necessarily on the competitive side. Even though, like, I still do a little bit of coaching, not to the extent that you've done, but um, just kind of dabble in it a little bit, just just to kind of. Uh, fill my like swimming bucket, I guess, so that I'm not completely dried out. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, the learn to swim side of it, was that because you had your own young children or was that because that's just where you wanted to give back to swimming? What was that? Yeah. I mean, I think what happened was um, trying to transition from being a competitive swimmer, you kind of start looking out in the world and going, okay, what do I know? What am mm. I passionate about? Mm. Um, and I knew, you know, I dedicated my life to being a swimmer. So that was one thing that I knew that I absolutely loved. 
Um, but like what you said, as soon as I had my kiddos, it kind of transitioned from, you know, being like intense training to watching my kids learn how to swim and find their love and passion for it, um, which really inspired me to hopefully, you know, be able to pass that on to other families. So it's kind of, uh, you know, it's it's a really extremely rewarding job. Um, it's also can be extremely difficult because you're working with kiddos, but it's it's been it's been fun. It's been like challenge. I never thought in a million years that I would own my own, you know, like business. I guess. Mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, my roommate from the Olympics, Justin Norris, um, he started his own learn to swim down in Australia. Jeez, uh, it must be like 15, 16 years ago now, and um, very successful. But uh, you know, he would tell me the ins and outs of the business and it sounds super easy, but running a business, first of all, is very difficult. Um, and then, and then managing a pool and, and a business within that pool can be challenging. How did you go about it? Did you build your own facility? Did you take over a facility? What was your deal? Yeah. So we ended up building our own facility, but it's small. So they're smaller pools. So it's not, mm -hmm. you can't come and lap swim here and they're 90 degrees. So that would kind of suck to lap swim in anyways. But, um, we just found, I live in Washington, so we can't really do outdoors with little kiddos. So we found mm -hmm. an indoor space that was big enough and, um, just kind of, uh, worked it out with the landlord. So he trusted <laughs> what I was going to do to his, um, building and started breaking through, the concrete and foundation dropped a couple pools in. And um, yeah, I think honestly, you know, the swimming part, I know, I know swimming, I know how to teach swimming. Um, but for myself, it was more learning the business side of things mm. and also how to manage staff, you know, so um, managing people is, uh, I, it's been really challenging, but really fun, because it's kind of been like a whole new, um, I don't know, like a new adventure for me to figure out and learn and navigate. Right. Yeah. That was, that was one of my biggest challenges taking over as a head coach. You know, you, you have this title as head coach, but all of a sudden you become a head manager, you're pe a manage, managing people. It was very, very difficult. I found, um, what does the business look like now then? How many, how many staff do you have? How many people working in the pool and that sort of thing? Yeah. So we have, um, close to 30 staff members. Oh, so wow. it's, yeah, it's a decent size. It's, um, and we're continuing to grow. I always joke, I just need more pool space because I'm yeah. just running out of pool. We have a wait list of about, um, a little bit over a thousand kids trying to get mm. in. So, wow. um, we're pretty full. <laughs> I just wish I had another pool. So, I mean, that's our next adventure is trying to figure out how to expand um not just like locally but possibly in other states because as you know australia really is awesome mm. at understanding the importance of uh swimming and water safety right. and you guys are just, just such watermen right like everyone is mm. um enjoys the water where in the u.s you have pockets you know in california florida texas places like that where you have a little bit warmer weather where people really prioritize it but then you have other areas where you know some towns don't have a learn to swim program so these kiddos are growing up and you mm -hmm. i mean you would know if by the time you're 16 17 18 years old trying to figure out how to swim is not a easy task to do <laughs> yeah there was a period of time in australia where there was a pretty heavy campaign of of learn to swim i mean kids were drowning in backyard pools um drowning at the beaches and, and lakes and all sorts of things and and um, a couple of people, including Laurie Lawrence, who I've had on this show, Laurie Lawrence, you know, is is dev uh, devoted his time and energy into kind of changing the stats on 
um, infant drowning and things like that. So learn to swim programs are huge and incredible. I mean, just to hear that you have a thousand on the wait list is, is just nuts. I mean, there's a thousand people that don't really know how to swim that need to right now. And so uh, that's just in your area. So hopefully you can open up a, another complex. So good on you for that. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. I know it's it's one of those things where it is we just need more water because I don't mm. want to turn away families. I don't want to turn away kids because right. I want everyone to have the opportunity to learn how to swim. So it's not it shouldn't be just a um, like a, a luxury like we got in, we got a space. It should be mm. available. We should have spots for everybody. So, um, yeah, that is kind of my goal and my mission is try to figuring out how to get more more water. <laughs> right. Well, sounds like another pool is um, being built pretty soon. So congrats okay. with that. Good luck with that. Um, that's awesome. But what about you then? Like, uh, let's go back to kind of where it started for you. Where Where did you learn to swim? Oh, goodness. Um, well, I grew up in Southern California. So um, like, you know, there's pools everywhere. There's the beaches. Um, so my parents both wanted, I have two older sisters. So the whole goal with uh, the three of us was to just have us learn how to swim as a life skill. Mm. Um, my parents weren't swimmers. They're both, my mom was a cheerleader and my dad was a, a basketball player. So they weren't, they didn't understand the whole concept of swim team and all that kind of stuff. So it was just like, hey, we're around pools all the time. Our kiddos need to know how to swim. Um, and then I just became obsessed. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, my mom started me in, you know, mommy me classes when I was six months. Uh, by the time I was four, I joined like our local summer league program. Um, I, I fell in love with it. I couldn't really get enough of swimming. So it was, it was actually really amazing though, because I grew up, you know, about a mile down from where the Irvine Nova's pool is and mm. trains and that's my high school. So it's just I was really lucky. <laughs> I mean, I grew up, you know, Dave Salo was literally a mile down the road from me. Mm. Um, so when I decided I wanted to take swimming a little bit more seriously, when I was 11 or 12, I drove down the street and had this amazing program and coach and staff to be able to train with and under. So um, I, I was lucky. I, you know, we had other kids on our team growing up who drove an hour and a half, two hours to train at that program. So, and I literally could walk there. <laughs> Well, it wasn't long after that until the whole world was kind of introduced to you at the at the Atlanta Olympics, including myself sitting home in Sydney and watching you compete there. But like before that, there must have been a period of time where it was kind of like you you were standing out as as a prodigy of some sort. I mean, you you had you must have had some wicked talent. Who was the first person to really identify that and and shape it? Was that Dave? Oh, I would say it was probably Dave. I had, but I did have a really good um, like parents and sisters who really just never let me get um, too excited or toot my own horn about uh, thinking I was a really great swimmer. <clears throat> what happened was on my summer league program, I think I was undefeated for about two years. So I was like, oh, I'm amazing. I'm mm. awesome. No one can beat me. And then that's when I decided to take it to the next level. And I went and joined this club team with Dave. And I could not keep up to save my life. And I was getting laps. I couldn't make the sets or the intervals. And I was like, oh, reality check. I am not that awesome. <laughs> um, so it was almost like I had to kind of restart and like learn and like rediscover my love for it and figure out how to get back towards that top. Um, and Dave was definitely a huge part of helping me climb that ladder. And 
I don't know if he saw something in me or just like saw my willingness to dedicate my time and life into it. Um, and just, you know, I just loved it. So it wasn't, no one was going to be able to hold me back. I was going to keep pushing forward. Who were the other people in your training group at that period of time? Can you remember? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, Jason Lezak and okay. Aaron Pearsall. Mm. Um, Not bad group. No. <laughs> No, we had, we had tons. I mean, we had a lot of, um, swimmers too, that swam for different countries, um, for Hungary and Mexico, um, mm. Staciana Stitz, uh, trained with me. Mm-hmm. My goodness. There was like a huge group of uh, Olympics, uh, swimmers training there. Like Aaron Pearsall was a little bit younger than me. So, um, he, I think his first Olympics was the 2000 Olympics. So he's kind of like right behind us. Jason was a little bit older than me. Um, so it was just, I went to my very first Olympic trials and it was, I think it was just me and Jason Lezak representing Nova's. I can't, there might've been another person, but, um, and I, I remember just like, it was in Indianapolis. And so it was just me and Jason, Team Nova. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're 14 at that stage, right? Did you know much about the Olympics before that? No, I mean, I watched it on TV. You know, I was 10 years old the last time the Olympics were on. So I was 10 um, watching it. Yeah, it was. And and I I remember sitting, I was at my friend's house and we were watching the Olympics and I was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and I was watching Summer Sanders swim and I was like, I want to be her. And Mm. so that was like my first kind of like, wow, this is where you can go with swimming, right? That's the top of the top. And watching her, I just felt like she was so um, graceful in the water. And I just loved watching her swim. Um, and it, so I told my parents, hey, I'm going to be like Summer Sanders. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to swim in the Olympics. And I think most parents, when their kids at 10 come to them and say that, are like, oh, that's so sweet. Good <laughs> luck with that. <laughs> Little did they know, four years later, I'd be like trying to, to compete at that level. <laughs> Well, not only trying to, I mean, you, you make the team and you go on to, to win, uh, what, three medals. Uh, what is it? Mm-hmm. Uh, a gold in the, in the relay and then two silvers, um, 200 yeah. and the hundred. Yep. I mean, wow. I mean, not only did you just make the team, but you, you end up on the podium. So like in, in that short <laughs> period of time, there's about, you know, five or six weeks between the trials and the Olympics. I mean, your whole world changed dramatically from just being somebody to being, at the Olympic trials and then getting on the team and then, and then that period of time of getting on the podium. I mean, what a change in your life in, in just six weeks, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a weird transition and I don't think it matters what age you are. I just, for, for me being so young, I was in my, in between like my freshman and sophomore year of high school. So, Mm. um, I was, uh, Still kind of, I like, like describe myself as still this like dorky, awkward, like, you know, teenager Mm. who is trying to figure out how to walk on land properly. And now I'm trying to pretend that I know what I'm doing at the Olympics. Um, And it was, it was weird because, I mean, there were other younger kids, uh, swimmers on the team. Uh, There was another 14 year old Jillian Soroki, who was a breaststroker and then Beth Botsford, who was a backstroker. She was 15. So I wasn't Mm. the only young one on the team. But I definitely felt like my maturity level was a lot younger than them. Um, So it was it was hard for me to kind of figure out, you know, my where I fit on that team. And I was kind of it was a little nervous. Um, I was lucky that I had a lot of great team members that um, 
kind of were very um, like motherly or fatherly and kind of helped understand that I probably needed some help. But yeah, in between trials and Olympics, it's it's hard because you're trying to manage media, right? Mm. So as a 14 year old figuring out how to talk to media is just uh, who knows how to do that. Mm. I'm still trying to figure that one out. And then, <laughs> um, you know, trying to really focus on training and preparing yourself to be at that top level. And then also I'm 14. And so I'm doing stupid stuff with my friends, you know, like, so trying to not injure myself as well. So the last thing that you want to do is go break an arm and you don't get to compete in the Olympics because you did something stupid when you're 14 years old. When you look back on that now, or even, even, you know, when you're at Olympics beyond that, that, that kid, is that just a naive kid who really didn't know what she was doing and just, just going with, um, I mean, I mean, what was it for you? Just, you just had yeah, I mean, no idea. It. Yeah, <laughs> you pretty much nailed it. I mean, you know, I kind of describe it as like trying to remember. Almost, I mean, when you try to think back on certain parts of your childhood, it's almost like dreamy fuzzy. You, you remember certain parts and chunks. Um, I do remember just like you said, being super naive. Uh, I understood the Olympics were a big deal. I just didn't understand like, to what magnitude they were a big deal, right? I didn't understand um, how much hard work and dedication, you know, the athletes put into being there in that moment. It wasn't till the next couple Olympics after where I really understood that and respected that. It was mm. more so I walked into it just like, I'm at a swim meet and I was in, in Atlanta. So we were still in the United States, you know? Mm. So it, um, you know, I was like, hey, this is fun. How, how cool, oh, I get all these free things and, um, I'm gonna just jump, jump in this pool and and swim and and do my thing. I'm at at that time. If you look back at pictures or video from me from the '96 Olympics, I don't even know how to dive with my goggles on. So I swam with no goggles. <laughs> it's like, wow. I mean, I was pretty young and naive for sure. So what do you think it was then? Just at that point in time in your life, obviously super talented. But you didn't you didn't have such a long period of time to work really hard. Maybe a couple of years, but but yeah. not like a lifetime of work behind you. But so it was just like timing of everything and and the talent that you had and just the ease of the way things were, were coming you obviously weren't overthinking things either so it was just like go out there and race and, and yeah. see what happens kind of thing huh? well i i think with breaststroke too if you're a breaststroker it's all about timing and rhythm and having a really good feel for that water mm. um so i just i i figured a lot of that stuff out like really quickly and mm. i had a really good feel in the water i knew how to like really stretch out my strokes and and be really efficient in the water so um and i was small so that honestly worked into my advantage mm. um i didn't have a lot of muscle mass that i was trying to pull through the water that didn't have to recover um all that kind of stuff so you know as far as you know especially that last 50 of a 200 breaststroke i wasn't feeling the same kind of pain probably as some of the swimmers next to me who might have been a little bit older a little bit stronger um yeah just kind of like <laughs> something that's a little bit uh, uh understated about you though is, and something I've, I've known about you and, and heard from other people is that you're pretty mentally tough competitively as well was that was that there early on as well uh, this is a, a, a toughness in, in terms of competition well i appreciate that that's uh really good to hear i i I, just, I don't know if it was toughness or stubbornness. I think it was probably a mixture of both. Just kind of, um, I'm also a super perfectionist, which I think you have to be to be a really great athlete, you know? So, um, 
going through practices and having a bad practice and kind of dissecting, okay, what went wrong? What was wrong with my stroke? All that kind of stuff. And I like to mentally prepare myself as much as possible before I would race anyone. Um, I also didn't feel, I mean, I was intimidated by my competitors, but also not intimidated, if that makes sense. Like I had a level of respect for the people I was racing, but I also was like, well, I know that I know what I'm capable of. And um, I kind of tried to take this confidence into it to be able to dive in and say, okay, well, you may be stronger than me, but I, I have better technique or I can do this. Um, so I tried to turn my weaknesses into strengths. And um, I just, I like being challenged. I didn't see being challenged or, you know, someone beat me as a negative. It was one of those things that, you know, fueled my fire and motivated me to get in the pool more and push myself harder and figure out how to make myself better. I remember kind of thinking back and 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 seeing you on the the dais, you know, a young little kid. I think you had your teddy bear as well, maybe um, something like that. Probably. I mean, you're you're a young kid, but I remember just sitting at home thinking to myself, like, you know, I've seen this story before. Like, you can go one of two ways. Like, you either never hear of you again, or you go on to be one of the greatest breaststrokers in history, which you ended up doing. But th there was a little bit of both in there, where you obviously had your struggles, no doubt. Um, but at that point in time, what was it for you that stopped you from never being heard of again and going on to being one of the best breaststrokers in history? Yeah, well, I think it, wow, it could have really gone either way, to be honest, like you're saying. So um, I, I loved it too much. I, mm. I loved it too much to, to be done with it. And I, de I mean, to, and I saying that like, um, with with also being super honest did i have some awful times during mm. my swimming career where i didn't want to do it anymore absolutely that's sure. just being human um but i my life kind of uh was re revolving around swimming and dedicating my life and sacrificing anything to to be the best and and i loved that like it wasn't something i look back and going oh boohoo like i missed out on this or that like i i accepted all those challenges i loved it i loved training i loved practices um did did i love it every day no but i mean i think I had a moment for sure in between 96 and 2000 where I did step away from the sport um, for a little bit because I was frustrated with myself and my training and really my mental attitude and my approach um, to everything. You know, I just had this super negative outlook on um, who I was as an athlete and just this this negative loop going on in my head where, oh, I'm washed up. I'm I'm, I'm over, I'm a one hit wonder, I'm never mm. going to accomplish anything else in my life, you know, so it would have probably been really easy for me to keep that negative loop and go down that path. Um, but I kind of took a couple months to myself to regroup and rediscover um, who I was and my love and my passion for my sport. And the love and my and passion for my sport was not dictated by winning medals and um, breaking records. It was the challenge that was always presented to me. So, you know, when I would get to go to these wonderful meets, world championships and, and Pam packs and things like this and all these different places, um, you know, instead of, you know, 
coming out of the pool and like, oh, I got a bronze. That sucks. Mm. I can't believe that. I was like, what a great opportunity I'm being presented with. I'm, you know, when you shift your mindset on how you're viewing these things, it's a lot easier to, to kind of be grateful for those moments and then push yourself through those moments um, a lot better. But yeah, I mean, it really could have gone either way. I, I, I'm also truly very lucky. I have, I had and have some of the coolest people around me, mm, you know, my parents, true. my sisters, my friends, they, mm. if you don't have um, pe- that good support system around you, you won't go anywhere, mm-hmm. you know? So it's a, it's a group effort when you're doing, trying to accomplish anything in life. It's interesting. You talk about some of that stuff, like that. that's kind of like uh, what a lot of athletes are talking about openly now is kind of that mental health that you go through, you know, it, it's, it's all about performance and then you have to go through a period of time where you reevaluate why you're doing things and what, what you value. Um, and, and it seemed like you're kind of like one of those early founders of mental health back in the day. Like we didn't have, you know, people talking about no. it. There certainly wasn't psychologists that openly mm-hmm. talked about things like that. So I guess that was just really just a private struggle for you. Are you, um, are you thankful now that athletes are talking about it more? How do you feel about the whole topic of mental health these days? I think it's great. Um, you can't, you can't, you can't navigate some of those situations by yourself, you know? So, and I tried and I failed miserably and fell flat on my face many, many times trying to do that all by myself. Um, and that goes back to my stubbornness thinking I'm so tough. I, I don't need anyone's help, blah, blah. But once you start to kind of, um, open up and welcome those people around you into your circle and into your life and sharing those moments, you realize, um, well, one, you're, you're really strong, right? Because you're you're exposing yourself and you're being vulnerable to people around you, um, and you're starting to have that healing process. And I don't think it's very easy, especially for athletes, because we're trying to stay so tough uh, mentally and physically for athletes to open up. But I think, um, you know, once they figure out how to, it it benefits them in on mm. all different levels. They start to enjoy life and mm-hmm. their sport more they're going to develop better friendships and 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 those people around them and weeding out the people that shouldn't be around them mm. um i i also felt like i was really lucky too i had um great relationships with all of my coaches who really understood um how i worked as well and how i you know i would take i took a, a like a two-week vacation um <laughs> to like Mexico with my family, um, I think like a month before World Championships one year. And my coach mm. was Frank Bush at the time. And he kind of was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and I was like, I got to go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to swim or train while I'm down there either. Sorry, but mm. I'm going to oh, go. Wow. I need this. So, mm. and I had a wonderful World Championships. Like it wow. all worked out. And and I always, when I do clinics and stuff like that, like I'll always say, okay, coaches, close your ears. But I always tell kids like, have vacations. Oh, yeah. It's okay. Like, mm-hmm. it's okay. You're not going to, if you take a week to go away with your family, you're not going to all of a sudden be a horrible swimmer. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to come back refreshed and ready and like, and you know, ready to kind of challenge and take on the world. So, but coaches don't listen. <laughs> no, listen, I agree with that. Breaks were always a huge factor for me, key, you know, because you and I are going to pour ourselves in when we're there. But when it's time to step back, you just need to get away from it completely. You can't be thinking swimming 24-7. It's just not, it's not even good when you're in it. You need some mm-hmm. balance in your life. I always found the, my best performances when I had 
when I, when I was focused on more of a balanced lifestyle rather than just swimming. I tell my athletes these days, it can't just be wake up, swim, you know, eat, sleep, repeat kind of thing. It's, it's gotta be more to life than that. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Great, great message that you're passing on. Cause I completely agree with that. Well, one of the other things I was going to say is, um, you know, growing up in Australia, swimming is a huge sport and, and individuals became very famous around the time that I was uh, on the Olympic team in 2000, especially leading up into 2000. We had, we had people like Ian Thorpe and Grant Hackett. But one of the things I noticed about women in particular is that they needed more than just the swimming performance. They needed to look good. They needed to say the right things. They needed to, you know, dominate their competition they, they needed to check all these different boxes that mm -hmm. the men didn't need to check is yeah. that something that you experienced and felt pressure in that experience as well oh yeah absolutely i felt like you had to kind of deliver this package right mm. like you had to you had to have us you had to be feminine but mm -hmm. but to be i had to have this tough strong body too so mm -hmm. it was like and i felt like everything was conflicting with each other too and like if i if i want to be like super tough this way but i i've got to be kind and gentle this way you know so it's like i definitely felt like i could never win um any of those battles or situations so it was just kind of um it's like and 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 trying to figure this out when you're a teenager and early in your 20s trying to figure out like being confident with who you are and just kind of presenting that to the world is not easy. So I, I mean, again, goes back to like having those good solid people around you kind of reality checking you um, when you kind of, you know, started to lose yourself or acting or, or, or focusing on something that wasn't really an important thing in your life or lifestyle. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it is weird. It definitely, you know, I, I don't really think about it often with, uh, the difference between males and females, but, um, but it's, it's definitely a different kind of, um, pressure and expectation to try to present yourself on all these different levels. And you're just like, Hey, I'm a swimmer. Like I have a wet, messy bun in my hair. I have goggles, hand lines, mm. like, you know, like take, take this, this is me. This is me as an athlete. And this is going to be good enough. Sorry if it doesn't check your boxes, but, and, but, you know, of course, when I was 20 years old, trying to tell myself that I didn't always believe. Well, well yeah, that's what I was going to say. Where was that coming from then? Because we didn't have social media like we do these days where it's kind of just in your face. Thank goodness. <laughs> I know. I mean, the, the, the stuff that they have to do with now is like magnified a hundred times. So it's like, yeah. wh where was that coming from you? I, I guess you picked up management early and then and you were trying to make money from swimming individually, you know, being being a superstar, yeah. being somebody that, you know, presents a certain way, looks good, that kind of thing. So were people telling you now's your chance to make money off this and things like that? Where's it coming from? Yeah. I mean, definitely people, you know, like it's almost like I had to, um, to think of myself as two different people, right? There was Amanda who was like the swimmer, mm. um, who focused on anything that was swimming related and, you know, getting myself, um, physically and mentally prepared for that side of my life. And then there was uh, the Amanda who was more focused on, you know, photo shoots and all that kind mm. of stuff. And it was funny, like I, um, when I was living in Los Angeles, uh, you know, I had a lot of, you know, I had big PR companies working for me and all mm. these, you know, management and all that kind of stuff. But it, 
it was one of those things where <laughs> I'd get all dolled up for like some red carpet event. I'd go to the event, I'd walk the red carpet, take photos, and I literally would turn around, go back in my car and go home and put my pajamas on. Because mm. I was like, I can't be out late. I'm focused on, I have to wake up early in the morning and go to morning practice. So mm. I, I, it was almost like too, like there was, um, not a lot of truth to a lot of the stuff, you right. know, like a lot of those photos and all, all those photo shoots. Well, super fun. Um, there's, I sit in hair and makeup for four hours. <laughs> so, um, it, there's a lot going in, um, behind those things. So uh, it was almost like trying to really focus on, a, there are two parts of my life and trying to figure out how to balance those together and to, to really try to keep them separate as well. Cause, um, my goals, I didn't want photo shoots and things like that to affect the goals that I had, um, for me to accomplish in the pool, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. And, and as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking to kind of some ca comparisons, like not exactly the same, but somebody like Lydia Jacoby, who kind of burst onto the scene you know, wins Olympic gold in, in the, in the hundred breaststroke at, at a young age. I mean, she's still not in college either. And, and now I'm seeing her do things she's never done, you know, some photo shoots and things like that. And then, and just having to deal with those expectations of, of the metal and the weight of it and making money and having a, a public image. And so like when you see somebody like her and you think back to yourself, even though it's not exactly the same, what, what would you, yeah. what kind of advice would you give her? Make sure you have good people around you for sure. And to, for them to create that balance, um, you don't have to accept every, you know, media interview or photo shoot or any of that kind of stuff. You, you really, I think it's, it's, it's a struggle to try to figure out, you know, like you don't want to feel like you're missing opportunities, you know? So, but at the same time, um, you have to do what's, best for you so if it, a certain opportunity is not who you are or is going to um take you away from doing something that you're more passionate about it's not something for you um w after the 96 olympics for me i had a lot of uh offers from mm. different companies to go pro and all that kind of stuff and i think one of the best things my parents did for me was to refuse all that um to to make sure that none of that even kind of came into my life. They restricted all media to one day a week. So I would do a couple interviews one day a week and they just kind of put a lot of restrictions on me be because I was so young and I didn't know how to mentally handle those things. And they were the adults in my life. So they helped create structure and balance um, for me that I probably wasn't mature enough to figure out on myself. Um, then after the 2000 Olympics, I decided to go pro and gave up my eligibility and all that kind of stuff. And I, not that I was super mature then I was like 18, 19 years old, but I, I understood more so of what I was getting myself into, I guess. So you did a couple of years at Arizona. Was it, how, was it two years or? Yeah, I did two years. Mm. Um, it was, I, I loved it. I, and it was really cool too, because um, if I gave up my eligibility and didn't, get to go and swim in the mm. NC2As, um, I probably would have, that probably would have been a huge regret for me. And I probably would always wondered what that would have been like. Mm -hmm. um, as you know, college swimming is, is fun. There's, yeah. there's, it's very different than swimming on your club team and all those different things. Um, so I felt like I had a better understanding 
after the 2000 Olympics of what I was actually giving up. Um, so I had that experience. I was extremely grateful for it, um, but I was ready for that next chapter of my life. And I was excited to kind of explore those options. So uh, I'm looking at your career just and you, you win silver individually in Atlanta, you win bronze in Sydney, but then you come back and win gold in Athens. Seems like backwards to me. Like, how did I you know, right? How the hell did you do that? Let's, I don't know. Were you, were you happy with the bronze? Joker. Were you I happy with it. the bronze in, in Sydney? Oh my Sydney? gosh, absolutely. I thought really? it was super. Well, I wasn't supposed to make that team. I was like, nowhere on people's radar. I was not swimming really? well um, at our trials. It was, you know, I, gosh, I swam awful in my hundred breaststroke leading into the 200 breaststroke. So I was like, Oh, this is great. This is going to be super awesome. And I just, I don't know how I did it, but I pulled out a, a great 200 breaststroke at the 2000 trials. Um, and then it was like, Oh no, I have to go to Australia and swim this on a whole nother level against mm. all these other great athletes. And I was just like, and I think I was like in lane eight or something like that in that pool. And I was like mm. that for a breaststroker, you know, or butterflies, like great. No idea what's going on in the pool around me. So I'm going to swim against this wall. Waves are going to be crashing back against me. And let's cross my fingers that I know what I'm doing. Um, and I won the bronze and it was, it was really cool and um, unexpected, I guess. I kind of went into those, that Olympics with really low expectations for myself, but also like I had a really good pep talk from Frank Bush before I, I competed in the finals for that race. And it mm. was just like, what, I'm here at the Olympics, like this is, this could be literally the last opportunity that I have ever on a stage like this. So um, I don't want people to count me out. I wanna show them what I'm capable of and I'm gonna dive in this pool and I'm gonna crush it. And I, and so no, it's not a gold medal, but I'm, I love that bronze. I was gonna say to you, you know, I'm not gonna let you off that easy after 21 years. You said, you said, I had no idea how I did it. Well, uh, you know, you've had 21 years to think about it. So. <laughs> I mean, you did something that we can all learn from, basically, is what I'm saying. Everybody's had that meet where they're swimming terrible, no one's expecting them to do anything, and then you have a moment of some sort, and you just explained a little bit of it, the Frank Bush moment, yeah. where you kind of reset things and kind of, you know, back yourself. When no one else is backing yeah. you, you kind of back yourself. So is that ultimately what happened is maybe you were just having a lot of negative thoughts and Frank kind of hit that reset button for you and like, hang on, I'm going to give myself a chance here. Yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, physically, um, there's nothing that you can do at that point, right? You can't change anything. Mm -hmm. You can't go back in time and train harder, lift more weights or do anything that like change your diet. There's, there's nothing. You're there in that moment. Um, so now it all becomes down to your mental preparedness and how you're going to approach that race, um, learning how to block everybody out and not being discouraged by being in that outside lane and all those other factors that come into that. And, you know, sitting down and having a, a moment of just kind of like, you know, almost having everything go black around you and and having that like mm. white noise and and really tunnel vision into like what you want to accomplish and do and i knew in that moment in sydney too like going into that race the last thing that i'm gonna do is jump out of that pool and say i could have done this better this should have been changed uh oh i you know i started 
giving up on myself on the last, you know, 25 meters into the wall. I don't want any of those. I, that will be a huge regret in my life. Cause I'll look back on that and go, great. What'd mm -hmm. you do? Like you just kind of completely took yourself out of that competition and out of that moment. So I really kind of, like you, you were saying, I refocused and I kind of sat down and I had to flip my mental switch um, in the direction that I needed to, you know, instead of just, I mean, there, it's so easy to focus on the negatives and the things that are going to go against you. Whereas like, I'm, I'm not going to let that negativity kind of seep into my life. I'm going to, I ha I'm, I can do this, you know, like my, my parents, you know, they flew to Australia at last minute. Cause I was not expecting to make that team. And my, I don't even, my, they took, they rented apartments, like, you know, three hours away to try to watch me swim there and they found tickets and like, I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, this is going to be it. I'm going to dive into this pool and you know how you dive in the pool and you can either tell right away when you feel good or good mm, or bad. Yeah. I wasn't even going to let that, you know, seep into my brain. I'm diving into this pool and I feel good. Like I'm not, it's not even going to go there. Um, See, I love all that. Cause I can, <laughs> I can relate to that. You know, you have moments like that as a swimmer where it's just, it's just down to that. It's like, yeah, nothing matters. I'm just going to go out There's nothing I can change. You know, every, this is in my control. Nothing else is in my control, but this and my attitude and the way I'm thinking, that's the only thing that's in my control right now. Uh, I'm, I'm loving what you're saying personally about that, but I'm also loving the fact that Frank Bush caught on to the fact that you needed to hear it too. Like the coaching <laughs> side of it, there was probably a moment uh, I, I, during some point where Frank maybe was wandering around all day thinking, well, how am I going to get to Amanda? How am I going to get to him? <laughs> right, when, when's right, the right yeah. time? What am I going to say? How am I going to say it? So he just seemed to deliver it exactly. Was it, was it right before the warm up or was it right before the swim? It was right in between my warm up and swim. So it was okay. right before I was going into the ready room right. and I warmed up and I mean, who knows, he might've, you know, like been doing my pace times and, you know, faking the times he's giving me mm. to even to like up my confidence, but he's like, you look good. You look strong. He, you know, like I started to get all my stuff, you know, on him and he like pulled me aside from everyone, sat me down and, and had that conversation with mm. me that was like, leave it all in the pool, you mm. know, just like the moment of no regrets, do not mm. walk away from this, you know, knowing that you could have done things differently or better and just kind of had a good moment. And he, he was one of those coaches that, uh, really knew how to talk to his athletes and, and or at least that's how I felt. I really right. knew like he really had a good way of kind of calming my nerves, um, you know, and making me feel like confident and in control of what I was about to, to do. Mm, I love it. Oh, great. Well, uh, that's a great moment. What about the resurgence then? So you 2003, 2004, I mean, you seem to be kind of untouchable again at this point in time. Late in, later in your career, I mean, what, let's say later, you're like 25, 20. No, you're not even that. You're like 20. How old were you in Athens? Like 22 in Athens. 22. Oh, my God. You're still a child. Oh, what the hell? Um, yeah, she has a resurgence at 22. No one ever said. Um, so, yeah. Like, so I guess the world champ, what the world champs were in Barcelona in 2003. Mm -hmm. I was at those that ones was too. That was a fun meet. Yes. Love that meet. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then 2004. So what, what's the catalyst here? What's going on in your life where you're just on top of the world right now? Who knows, to be honest. Uh, I just, I came away from uh, Sydney with this new kind of um, confidence, I guess, you know, and people don't, I people don't really think that way, walk 
you know, we're very fixated on gold medals and things mm -hmm. like that. But the bronze was such an accomplishment to me. Mm -hmm. And um, that whole meet in general was felt like such um, like I took over control and power of like my swimming and where I wanted to go with it. Mm. And I rediscovered that, like, I'm not done. I I've got more in me. I can definitely get better and faster and stronger. Um, I just need to take a vacation <laughs> <laughs> and come back and start to to train over the next couple of years. And and I did good, I guess. Like I had some good swim meets, but it wasn't till 2003, the world championships is when I really kind of like it, everything clicked mm. and it, it, in swimming too. And in sports, a lot of it is timing. Like I could have had that moment in 2001 and then had the next, you know, 2002 and 2003 be my like rock star years mm. in my sport, but it clicked and it, the timing of it was perfect. Mm. Um, world championships um, was one of those moments. I That was my fastest swim I've ever done in the 200 breaststroke. And I think I had a a couple years between doing best times. I think mm. like seven years or something <laughs> crazy like that. But I, you know, I walked away from that meet, just I tied a world re world record and I won a gold medal. And I was like, okay, this, this is it. This is, you know, like I'm going to, I'm going to do some great things over the next couple of years. Um, just kind of keep my head down, push forward and let's have fun with this. Who are you training with in, in 0304? Oh, goodness. Um, I was training at the University of Arizona. So okay. Frank Bush was my coach during okay. that whole time frame. Um, so I was training a lot with the Arizona team. But mm -hmm. we also had a pretty big pro group that trained um, out of uh, University of Arizona. A lot um, of South Africans, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. we did. I, we had tons. It was yeah. amazing. So, um, yeah, we had like my goodness, 20 pro athletes training mm. out of there. Um, I, I trained a lot with the men's team um, and like the men's swimmers mm. uh, uh, going into a lot of that just because they they were always a little bit faster than me. Yep. So it was a good kind of gauge for me to kind of continue to push myself. Um, but yeah, again, super lucky. I just had great training partners, great training environment, coaches that were dedicated and motivated and were inspiring us. And, you know, every day felt like we were, we were, it was like a piece of the puzzle that we were putting together for going and competing at the Olympics. So you hadn't won individually before this 200 breast in Athens. What was the difference maker then at this, at, in this race? How, how did you win this one? Well, I had someone pushing me. That's for sure. In that race, um, Liesl Jones was like, mm. um, she was such a fun person to race because she she kept everything interesting, right? So like we battled each other every time we jumped in the pool together. And I had so much respect for her as an athlete and a swimmer, just kind of knowing, you know, the level of competition that I was diving into the pool with. So, you know, in Athens, I knew I was going to have to pull something out of like mm. somewhere special to figure out how to to beat her in that moment and in that time. Cause it was not going to be, you know, you watch some races at the Olympics and, you know, people are winning by, you know, five meters and stuff like that. I knew that um, the whole entire time I have to like, I have to figure out how to strategize my race. I know kind of how she races. We race very differently. So 
I was trying to figure out how to strategize to put myself in the best position um, to try to figure out how to overtake her on the last, you know, 10, 10, 15 meters. Um, And also kind of same thing going into it with, you know, just that mental confidence and toughness of, um, all right, like, I have all these, you have the best athletes in the whole entire world, you know, in this pool with you. Um, It's no easy task. And but how am I going to be, you know, mentally tougher than the other seven girls that I'm about to race against? So I tried to figure out how to kind of tap into those those feelings and those moments and, you know, really just prepare myself as best as I possibly could. before I dove into that water. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because I, I can think very clearly about the way I was feeling in Athens as well and the, and, the, and the state that I wanted to be in, needed to be in to race against the best in the world at that point in time. And one of the things that's very clear in my memory is kind of like what you said is like knowing that you have to be at your best and obviously wanting to be at your best, but there's there's a period of time in the hours leading up to to that moment where you know you, you're trying to get into the ideal physical mental state for yourself. For me, it was certainly about just relaxation, um, a little bit of meditation, a lot of deep breathing, kind of just tuning things out. You know, where where it was, it was almost like I was walking around but didn't notice the things that were going on around me kind of thing i needed to be in a very isolated controlled relaxed state to to bring out my best i felt um what about for you at that point in yeah time? no i completely i am exactly kind of what you're talking about um everyone's like what pump up music do you listen mm. to to get yourself ready i'm like do you know what my heart rate is doing <laughs> going <laughs> up into this i don't need anything pumping me up mm. i need things to calm me down you know yeah. like find my center and relax and meditate and visualize and go through like breathing exercises to, to calm myself. Cause the last thing that you want to do is step behind the blocks and have all this adrenaline pumping mm. through you dive into the pool. And, and then it's, I'm done mm. after 50 meters, you know, like how, you know, just, um, yeah. It's, I mean, I, I think you, you completely nailed that one is like, just kind of, having that like blacking everything out around you focusing on yourself and and that breathing i always visualize my races that's something that dave salo worked with me a lot when i was growing up is just kind of like laying down closing my eyes and going through the whole entire race of like how it feels my breathing through it like my timing and my rhythm and just seeing every single stroke and even like the the like times like my pace and like everything that i want to be doing and I'm nailing my walls, all that kind of stuff. So like I'm preparing myself and putting myself in the best situation possible that I, you know, like, oh, I've already done this in my head. Now I just have to do it, you know, physically out here um, for everybody. And um, yeah, I so we kind of prepare the same. Yeah, way. <laughs> that's one thing I miss. You know, I miss kind of like looking at myself physically and, and just kind of talking to myself like, I want your best today. Like I want your yeah. best, like be at your best today. Like bring, bring everything you got and have no regrets kind of thing. Just, just like physically talking to my body to like make it aware, like it needs to be primed and ready and like, like an almost like an animalistic kind of uh, <laughs> response of like when it's time, you know, flick that switch and go and, and not think, 
you know it's like a, yeah. an automatic response type thing but preparing the body and i can imagine yeah. uh you know i watch a lot of mma and boxing and things like i can imagine that's kind of what fighters would do now too of like moments before they walk into a, a ring or a cage i would imagine that they're, they're telling themselves that their body to 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 be ready to oh uh, i mean you watch you watch them walk out like right so they walking out they have their song they mm. have people all around them but they're mm. just like like just like there's there's nothing right like they're so in yeah. their own little moment and zone yeah. and not caught up in that because mm. that's that can be physically exhausting too too if you start getting so caught up in in all the energy that's surrounding you just kind of dra drains it all out so um yeah i can imagine that's kind of how i don't watch a lot of boxing but i watch a lot of mma not as much recently but. <laughs> yeah i love it too but um well uh well then you go on to be captain in 2008 what was the 2008 experience like for you that was kind of more towards the back end and, and again you're only 26 years old so i don't know why know. we're saying you're at the back end of your career why was that difficult for you you just been in it so long at that stage yeah i think um i think i was just kind of more mentally checked out mm. after 2004. I think like almost I felt like, you know, I, I accomplished what I was trying to accomplish. And mm. while I still loved the sport and I loved training, I just, I loved competing. I think, you know, as like years went on after 2004, the, my like kind of not my motivation, but like my, well, why am I still here? What am I trying to do and accomplish? You know, so um, while I had a lot of fun in those years, it was kind of going into those Olympics more of like, um, I don't think I was completely in the correct mindset and focused on what my goals and what I wanted to do and, and, and being present uh, completely in those moments. I think I was a little bit more distracted and, um, but I mean, goodness gracious. So I, you know, when I talk about um, the 2008 Olympics, I just always talk about like, well, I just went, I had a lot of fun. Mm. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I enjoyed the experience. Was it a good performance for me? Absolutely not. I was honored to be chosen as a captain. Um, that was really cool. And, and I enjoyed being there and watching all of those um, athletes and my teammates, you know, just totally kicking butt. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't I haven't told this story publicly, but at that stage I was coaching um, or helping helping to coach. Uh, there was it was twenty twelve actually, but uh, Laura Manadu, you know Laura Manadu, yeah, yeah. And um, I was help, I was helping coach her up into the the twenty twelve London Olympics, and she made the team. She qualified for the team um, about six weeks before the games, and uh, and I didn't see her again. I didn't hear from her again. And then the next time I saw her was at the Olympics, and. I ran into her in the village and and um, she was just kind of wandering around and having like smiling and I was like Laura where have you been like I haven't seen you in six weeks like you're at the Olympics she's like Brett I did what I wanted to do I'm, I'm at the Olympics I'm just here to have fun now and I was like yeah you know if someone who'd gone through what she'd gone through for for so many years I couldn't really judge her at that point in time I'm like well yeah. that's fair enough I mean if you want to experience an Olympics and enjoy it then why not there's so much pressure on a young Amanda Beard to be perfect at these Olympic games at such a young age. And I, I imagine you just want to go and experience one for fun too, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's a, there's a point in your career that you kind of have to like come to the realization that like, 
I'm done, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, like, um, and I think that's hard. Sometimes it's a really clear, like, you know, okay, you got to be done and move on from this sport because you have such a bad relationship with it. But I think it was fuzzy for me because I loved it. I loved training. I loved all my training partners. I loved my coaches. I loved being able to travel and compete all over the place. So there were so many awesome gifts that swimming was giving me that it, it was hard for me to make that like decision of, okay, like it's time for me to move on and, you know, find what the next adventure is for me in life. Um, So I think after 2008, I tried to come back and swim a little bit. Um, I I trained for the next, you know, couple years. I went to the 2012 trials. um, And I think that was even more of like solidifying, like, okay, you're done, girly. Mm. (laughs) Walk away. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Leave. Goodbye. It's over. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Give it up, girl. Um, you wrote a book, was it, was it 2012 it come out, uh, in the water, yes. they can't see me cry. Why'd you decide to write the book? Oh, uh, okay. So I was sitting down, uh, one of my good friends who uh, was a writer. So she covered me like through my whole childhood. Um, she wrote for the New York times and she came and stayed with me in Arizona and we were just sitting on my couch and I started just, it was a really weird, but I just started like telling her, she was asking questions as mm. reporters do, but it, like all off the record. And she and I just started like telling her stories from my life and she was like this is not anything what people think that's going on in your life um and it was also you know that moment paired with like you know doing speaking engagements especially with younger athletes and going to clinics and you 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 Mm. do those all the time and you're you're telling stories about um the olympics and all these one you're telling all these positive stories Mm. and I always felt like I walked away from them feeling not like I was a liar, but I wasn't being completely honest. Um, Cause mm. I knew looking at those faces, you know, the kids that I was talking to that some of them are struggling. Some of them are going through hardships in their swimming career or their home life or different things that they're experiencing. And I wanted to have a more um, honest relationship with um, the people that I was encountering and the young athletes that I was talking to. Um, and I wanted, I wanted ev- other people to know that like, your journey of, of success can be like a super rocky one and a roller coaster and you can fall down a million times, but you know, you can also stand up a million times and you can figure it out and you can still be really successful. Awesome. I'm, I'm glad you did that. You, you don't have any regrets looking back on it's kind of letting that all out. I, I know I, I would be tough for me at times. <laughs> it's, but... it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it's definitely, you feel very like, here's my diary go for it like Mm. so it was like i definitely the the year after it came out i was there was a lot of emotions like Mm. going through it and a lot of like should should i've done that should i've not should i've done that should not Mm. and then i'd have these encounters with people you know like um who literally were on the on the edge of making some really horrible mistakes with their lives and and saying that the book touched them and and helped Mm. them kind of through some dark times or parents coming up to me and who read the book and how it has helped kind of create their bond with their kids and talk about hard things and all that kind of stuff. So as much as like my having my own personal life totally displayed out there, um, it, if it's doing some good and if, if it's helping people open up and like what we're talking more about with mental health and stuff like that, then, 
then who cares? It's just, it's my life and it's, you know, yeah. it's my story and who cares? I, I don't need to be embarrassed by it. <laughs> we've all, we've all got our own personal struggles, uh, for sure. I mean, there's, there's definitely something that's going on in my life right now, which I read in, in terms of, of you, you went through, um, you said your parents got divorced at 12. Is that right? And, and it was very yeah. difficult for you. Uh, I got divorced a couple of years ago and my, my twin daughters are actually 13 now. And one of them is, is really struggling to be honest you know yeah, she's, she's yeah. having a tough time so here's some advice from me all right talk to okay, me okay. um <laughs> what, do, what do i do like I, I mean she she's having a hard time with it what's the best way for a father to connect with with well their daughter? yeah well so the way that like my parents and myself dealt with it with it and during those times is we didn't <laughs> we didn't mm. talk about it we didn't talk about why it was happening or the details and letting ourselves kind of have that complete like meltdown and like letting all those emotions out we you know like just kind of what i would do with my sport i kind of was like swallow 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 mm. toughen up i got this like i'm not gonna because because i don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable to talk about so why why am i gonna you know bring this subject matter up that might make me feel uncomfortable um it was probably the worst thing that I ever did, right? So having those real conversations where I, it doesn't matter, you know, what's being said and letting that honesty kind of spew out and keeping a really healthy relationship and balance in their life and and the love kind of continuing to flow and all that kind of stuff and, and some normalcy, um, you know, like everything kind of becomes different when your parents are divorced, like holiday all that stuff becomes different mm. and my parents did a really good job of um prioritizing myself and my sisters and not making it about them or or you know can they be in the same room together and and really kind of like taking all of that out of the equation and and having that normalcy of you know christmas may look different but how can we you know still keep it somewhat normal so mm. it feels still like family traditions are being kept it might be two different parties going on or things like that but um but to be honest you know just having those hard conversations um and knowing that like you can come to your parent whenever you need to you know because certain things might come up you know in a year or two or three years down the road and knowing that you can come and have that conversation with your parent without judgment and without um without it leading necessarily to any sort of negativity, just having, being able to like voice your opinion, I guess. Was there a period of time where you, where you took on some blame for that or something like in yourself? Like, did you feel like, um, that you were to blame for your parents being divorced at any point in time? No, but I didn't know why they got divorced. Right, so right. I, I never understood it. You know, so that was my biggest thing. I didn't understand why they got divorced till I was like in my twenties. Yeah. Um, so there was, I just kind of was like, okay, but I didn't talk about it. You know, I didn't ask right. them. They didn't tell me. Um, you know, it wasn't until you know, fifteen years after the fact that I actually started to ask those questions and mm. and and then realize. And yeah, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about my sisters. It was nothing to do with anything like that. It was, yeah. you know, the, the struggles that, you know, relationships go through yeah. and that's, um, that's the reality of, of life. But I was too scared to have those conversations in, sure. in those moments.
Yeah, yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. It's helpful. Helpful. Yeah, to absolutely. Sometimes, as as a divorced father, you kind of feel alone. You're like, I don't know, I don't know what to do here. So, um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's good. Um, you also helped me the other day. I was reading one of your Instagram posts. You put up the seven cardinal cardinal rules of life. I love that. Oh, that's that. a good one, huh? Yeah. Where'd right? you get that? Yeah. Did you make I that up, just, or is that something? You, I wish. Yes. Oh. No, I wish I did. No, it's just um, something that. I have found on the internet and mm. um, it really, it kind of is one of those, you almost need to read it every day to kind of like, like no, recheck yourself. I, wrote, I actually wrote it details. out. Look, I, I, I wrote <laughs> it out. It was like, it was so good. I was like, I gotta write this out. Yeah. I took it's, it from you. It is good. It is good. And it, and it relates to everyone, mm. you know, it's to, to ev everyone, everyone can take like, something out of that um really you can take all of them but yeah. you know some people might try to uh, choose one or two of those but i it was just um i've really tried hard in the last you know you know 10 15 years of my life to be more kind of uh confident with who i am as a person and grateful for everybody else that's around me and who they are as people and um and trying to like release myself of any negativity or like holding on to any negativity and stuff mm. like that. So, um, trying to kind of spew that through my social media. <laughs> no, listen, you, you threw it onto me and I, I liked it. I needed it. It was good. It was like, they're good oh, reminders, good. but it's also, it also kind of led me to believe that you're at a point in your life where, uh, you've matured a lot, obviously. I think probably being a mother has has helped a great deal in kind of just, you know, coming to letting things go. You know, what what was in the past is in the past. And I mean, you can't change yourself as a young 20-year-old, you know, and, and saying no. things and doing <laughs> things. And But you can also let some of those pains and agonies just go away. So that's a good absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I liked it. Okay. Well, listen, um, I appreciate this. This has been fun. Thanks for thanks for catching up and doing this it's been uh, great yeah it's been so awesome to to chat with you yeah one one last thing i did want to talk about i mean your world record at the time was 222 tatiana just broke the world record in tokyo uh 218 i think i mean it's it's ridiculous oh. how fast it's getting there. did <laughs> you know, did you watch so tokyo silly. yes of course absolutely right. yeah all right what do you think and of it? yeah it's like oh i, I mean it was kind of an interesting Olympics, to be honest. And I don't know if that was just like the the the, the lack of fans and just there's mm. like so many different like outside, you know, factors in in this one. But um, it was all it was all. I was really curious, to be honest, how the U.S. team was going to do mm. all, all the teams. But like I knew that training the past couple, you know, like the year leading up to it was probably kind of all over the place for a lot of athletes and mm. not as consistent. So I was curious to see what kind of times people were going to throw down and, and see people rise to the occasion without that energy of everybody in the, inside the, the building. And um, so I think given all those factors, it was a pretty um, amazing event for sure. What about the two different styles of, of stroke between Lydia winning the hundred and then Tatiana winning the 200, like completely different, <laughs> techniques right i know well i mean i think that's what's cool about breaststroke right like my stroke versus like liesel's stroke i was like mm. or rebecca sony's stroke is right. so different and that's 
there, we have different like um, power sources um, and different ways that we're efficient in the water. There's not a lot of other, like, you know, you can get a little different with freestyle, I guess, especially if you're going with, you know, sprinters versus long distance, things like that. But breaststroke's really the only stroke that can be, you look across the eight lanes and there's like, everyone's swimming it completely differently, but yet still really awesome. So it's like, well, that's what I hate about breaststroke because I'm trying to coach it. And, and it's like, coach, you don't know anything about breaststroke. Well, you could teach that, or you could teach that, or you could teach so like, is yep. there is there a commonality that I could actually just stick to? Is it is I it know. just streamline? Is that what it is? Like get back into streamline? Get really small and tiny. So, yeah, it's like Frank Bush would always tell me, get skinny, get skinny up front, because he's like, you just want to plow through the water. But so mm. the, it's perfect perfect what you're saying. Breaststroke's so hard to teach and coach because mm. there are so many different ways to swim it. So I usually kind of watch um, like a swimmer swim it and then pick out the ways that they're not grabbing the water correctly or riding in the water correctly, things that are slowing them down or causing them drag on all that kind of stuff and try to change those things. But I never, you know, like when I'm working with kids who that come up really high, like have a really high stroke, like I did, I don't tell them to get lower when they're lower. I don't try to get them higher. Like I try to try to tweak what they have going on to make it just a little bit more efficient, I guess. But it's a tricky, it's really, it's, my goodness. Butterfly is so physically hard to like mm. master and do. And then breaststroke is just so technically hard to master and do. So it's like, yeah, breaststroke is one of those ones that does my head in. I'm just when I think I've got it, someone does something different. It's like you got you got people doing like these narrow, almost dolphin like kicks now. Tiny little kicks. Yeah. Like, I don't get that because I have a really wide kick, yeah. you know. But it also that went to my timing more because I had a lot longer strokes and a little bit more distance per stroke. I was a little bit more efficient and I rode really high in the water. And um, so that like that bigger kick benefited me. If I I had a coach come and try to make my kick smaller one time and i tried it for like a practice and i was like mm, yeah <laughs> no yeah <laughs> this is gonna be really messy if we try to do this so uh, you kind of have to work with the strengths and the weaknesses of that athlete i guess what about tatiana stroke it's like super late breath very aggressive like comes up real hot high grabs her air and then shoots back down in the line but like really late on the breath yeah i i don't think um it's like one of those strokes that I would never suggest people to mimic, yeah. right? Like, because yeah. it's like, it obviously works for her, but mm. I don't know anybody else that that's going to work for. So it's like, okay, maybe there are some little pieces that we can take, you know, like just the speed of shooting your arms forward or something like that, that we can pull out of that. That's super beneficial. But trying mm. to do that, it's clearly for her, her body and like what she's got going on. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But in saying that though, I think there's going to be people teaching it and there's in the absolutely. next four or five yep. years, there's going to be a bunch <laughs> of late breathers. I told her that on the podcast, um, there's going to be, uh, actually tomorrow I'm, I'm interviewing uh, Lily King on the podcast. So oh, fun. Yes. Now you're, oh, you're getting all the breaststrokers. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting all the breaststrokers, getting them all out there of the way. Go. So she's coming yeah. tomorrow. <laughs> All of our weird little things. She's another through. one. Yeah. She's like <laughs> super weird stroke, but like she breathes. Yeah. I think she breathed to the side or something. I don't know. It, she I does. She does turn her head a little bit to the side. Cause I always yeah. thought she was trying to look and mm. then I was like, Oh no, that's just how she's, she takes, but it's not every stroke. I feel like that. She yeah. Does that. So yeah, yeah. but Her stroke I don't know. Weird. We're weirdos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what, what is there anything coming up other than possibly building another pool and getting more kids into that? Is there anything else on the horizon for you? I, I mean, not really. For the most part, it's 
pretty much consumes uh, seven days of the week for right. me. So um, my, I think that's my goal is just kind of like trying to build more, more pools and more, um, uh, you know, possibilities for kids to learn how to swim and open more aquatic doors for them. And um, who knows, maybe make some little swimmers here or there, but just really focusing on that water safety. Where do you land on your kids possibly wanting to be swimmers in the future? How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay, so that's a good question. So my son is a baseball player, and mm. he plays. He's been playing year-round travel ball for about almost five years now. So he's committed to that. So he trains for that about six days a week. My daughter plays softball and basketball, but she's decided that she wanted to join the swim team. So she mm. actually joined the swim team in the last month, and. And she's kind of getting a little obsessed with it and doesn't want to miss a practice. And so I mm. <laughs> like, what have we done? What have we created? <laughs> <laughs> so um, my son, both of them are really great little swimmers, um, which was they had to be um, just for safety reasons. But my son is definitely like full blown obsessed with baseball. Mm. Um it's good. And my 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 daughter's a little bit more all over the place, but it she she chose like she's the one that came to me and asked me to join a swim team. So I was like, okay. <laughs> what what's your daughter's name? Dune, like a dune buggy. Dune, okay. Dune, we'll, yeah. we'll look out for her in the future. What's your what's your um, married name? But Brown. Okay, Dune Brown. All right, so yeah, look yeah. out for that one in a few years. All right. Yep. <laughs> Perfect. She thinks um, she's a backstroker, so. Oh, wow. Backstroker. Oh, how <laughs> <Yeah>. dare she? <laughs> I know. Never a breaststroker. Ever, no breaststrokers do backstroke. So she's totally gone the opposite direction of me. Good for her. Yeah, breaststrokers are weird. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I appreciate this. It's been awesome. Thanks for, for doing this. And um, we'll catch up again soon, all right? Sounds good. Have an awesome day. Thanks, Amanda. Take care. Bye. Okay, here's some exciting news. One of our sponsors here of the show, The Magic Five, are going to be featured on ABC's Shark Tank on Friday, October 29th, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check it out. Very cool.